This podcast is brought to you by Central, helping schools work smart. Hello, I'm Colin Klupik, and you're listening to Central Station, where I talk with a diverse range of people committed to making a positive impact on education. You can subscribe to these interviews wherever you get your podcasts, and to keep in touch, you can join us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. It's often said that necessity is the mother of invention, and that's certainly the case for Tim Bowman, founder of Class Creator. As a part of its mission to continuously drive innovation in education, Central teamed up with Tim to create Class Builder, a software program that builds classes for schools using some clever technology that saves time and reduces hassle and conflict. But it's the story behind the product that makes it so powerful. Over a decade in classrooms has given Tim unique insight into what makes a good class and how to use technology to keep improving the class building process. It wasn't always a straightforward run for Tim, and he certainly saw his fair share of challenging classroom situations. I started by asking Tim to share a few of those moments that eventually led him to create a product that now helps teachers manage hundreds of thousands of students. Yeah, I, I guess uh, having been in teaching for a while, most teachers have had quite a diverse bunch of uh, classes and challenges along the way. Um, I guess probably one of my most interesting challenges was working in Hong Kong for a couple of years. And uh, there I was teaching students that didn't actually speak English. So that was certainly a challenging class. Yeah, that would be a challenge. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but as far as teaching, I guess, a lot in Australia as well, I think every class provides its own unique challenges. So sometimes it might be individual students that have uh, specific requirements, emotional, behavioural, academics, those sort of things. So um, over my time, I've certainly had those. But I guess that probably the most challenging for me would be classes that perhaps have um, a really interesting spread of demographics. So one time I had a real high achieving bunch of students. And so trying to cater for them was really challenging while also differentiating for those lower kids and making they were supported, making sure they were supported as well. That was that was a very big challenge for me. Um, differentiation, I think, is a real tough thing in education. Um, so trying to make a, a cohesive group was always something that I, I thought was really important and, and helped teachers teach better. I think uh, differentiation has become, well, that concept that you were just talking about has become so much more of an issue now that we have uh, emerging years of NAPLAN data, which is showing that in any one class you can have multiple differences of in band levels between students all in the one class. And then you think, well, how's a teacher supposed to cope with that? Because we're talking about potentially five to seven, perhaps even sometimes more years of academic progress of difference all in the one class. Did you? Is that the sort of thing you're talking about? Yeah, definitely. And that that's one of the things I think moving forward with about tech that's really exciting for me is thinking about uh, how tech can help with personalization of learning for students and help teachers along the way. Um, so it would really be almost be like having a second teacher in the classroom, the way tech's sort of heading with uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning and, and personalized learning for students. So that's something I'm certainly looking forward to in the future as, a, as an educator, having that tech support as well along the way. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about the uh, some of the ethics behind artificial intelligence and and computers making decisions about who we are. Uh, I'll come back come back to that in just a moment. But uh, I'm curious, what was your primary motivation for dreaming up something that could build a better class? Did did you just wake up one morning and think, oh my goodness, there just has to be a better way? Well, yeah, it was it was sort of interesting how it happened. Uh, for a long time, I taught grade six, which basically meant my students in Victoria would go off to secondary school, so I wouldn't need to create classes. 
But I saw everyone else making these classes and pulling their hair out. I thought, oh, surely there's got to be a better way. There's got to be some software. But I, I just had that thought for a couple of years until eventually I moved down and was the team leader for a grade five team. So I had to make classes. And it was during report writing and everything else. So I thought, oh, there's got to be a better way. So I looked around, searched high and low, and I just couldn't find anything. So I, I ended up making an Excel spreadsheet, but it was still a really a manual process that took a long time and, and it was an, a real nightmare. Lots of mistakes and things were made going backwards and forth and snowball mistakes that turned out to be huge mistakes at the end. Um, and basically, I sat down with my wife, Corinne, and she's also a teacher, and we sketched out what we thought some sort of software could be that would really help and make this process a lot better and easier. Um, and, and eventually that's sort of how it all came about. And then we teamed up with the developer, Carl, um, and he's basically an amazing wizard geek, I guess. Um, and he got to work on it and, and we all worked along the way refining it and uh, improving it from there. But, yeah, it really started as, as a frustration of a teacher and uh, sketching it out on, on a piece of paper. And uh, I think that's how a lot of the, the great things come to be. They come from the front lines, people that are dealing with those problems day to day. So the, the idea is that you build classes based on a collection of survey information. Can you describe how that process works? Yeah, so that, that's been an interesting one as well, how the surveys have evolved as well, because every single school is very different. So we've made it so that schools can customise the surveys to suit their needs, whether it's in terms of languages or the fields that they use and things like that. Um, so basically a school administrator would set up the, the survey that they would send out to their teachers that meets their needs. Uh, then they, they press a button, the teachers receive an email and they log in and they get to view their current class, their current bunch of students. And it's a bit like a Google form. And so it, the, it's pretty easy for teachers to fill in. It sort of collects data on behaviour, academics, special needs, ESL, any tags or comments that are sort of needed as well. Uh, and the teachers fill those in and, and that's a really quick way of collecting the data and it's really consistent across the whole school as well. Is there some way that teachers can have an input into what questions they'd like to be asked or, or be, be responding to? Um, I guess that's probably the way that they, they feed back to their admin. Like they might say, for example, they might say, oh, I really think we should include some some reading benchmarks for the kids and then... Um, if, if the admins contact us or if they, they decide, oh, we could enter, enter that in a student note. So if teachers do have any questions, they can certainly talk to their admins and then, and then customise it in a, a direction that's going to be appropriate for them. What's the initial response from teachers when they suddenly find out that they can actually provide some sort of qualitative information back to the admin to, to start influencing how this decision-making process happens? Do they like it? Yeah, they do like it. I think that quite often in, in many schools, they've always had this input into how classes are created. Um, but the, the real fantastic thing for them is that it's just so easy to do now. So previously, we'd have to collect most of the data that we, we collect in, in this process, but we've just streamlined it and made it a lot easier um, and I guess a lot more transparent as well. But at this time of the year, teachers are just so incredibly busy with report writing, performance reviews, school concerts, all these things that are on their plate. So basically, if this is one way that we can help streamline the process, make it easier for them, that's that's our job done. We really want to help teachers have more time to, to do other things as well. Yeah, time seems to be the just the, the perennial question, doesn't it? Absolutely. So 
Have you found that uh, sometimes when the information comes back that the people who are collating the information get a little bit shocked as in, gee, I didn't know my teachers thought that or wow, I didn't know parents were so concerned about those issues. Does that ever happen? I guess uh, in some ways it's teaching is a very subjective game um, in terms of how you, you view an individual student. So one student might view a student one way, their behaviour compared to another student, and a uh, teacher, sorry. And so two teachers might actually have a different approach to a student and they that might warrant the different view of the behaviour. A student might change one year to the next because they've got something that's happening in their home life. So I think a lot of the times we can have different opinions on sort of um, on the data, but that often leads into a, a great way of um, having a conversation about the data and why things are how they appear to be. Um, I think another thing is that a lot of schools use a rubric that we've created, and basically that rubric allows them to unify their understanding on the survey questions and help them to moderate. So it's not just about moderating academics by saying, okay, to be well above level, they need to be at this reading level, um, but it's also things like moderating behaviour. So deciding as a school, well, what moder- what um, what would we determine is challenging behaviour for students? Would it be that they're sent to the office maybe once a term or that we've had to call their parents? So I think it sort of removes that surprise once it, it opens that discussion about how schools and teachers moderate the, the survey levels. I imagine, uh, well, following on from that, I imagine that there'd be other teachers within the school uh, or other members of staff who would probably find this information very interesting, not just at class building time, as in thinking about next year's classes, but just as a tool to find out what the status quo is of the school anyway. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but if I if I wanted to survey uh, a couple of classes just to find out what the lie of the land was, I imagine that could be very helpful to say someone like a special ed teacher or a counsellor, for, for example. Have you had any experience with that? Yeah, so I think um, the data that we collect is quite unique from, I guess, what you, you'd gather from report writing or something like that. So the data, one of the amazing offshoots that we've found is we've created a, a section called the sociograph, which is an excellent um example of how the data is used that we collect. So basically the sociograph shows how student preferences are set. So how many students have preferences towards them. So for example, if I had five students that had preferences that they wanted to be in my class, then I would have five preferences towards me. But if there were no students that said, hey, I really want to be in Tim's class, then I would have little or no preferences. And so to use a sociograph, you can identify those students that don't actually have any preferences pointing towards them. And a counsellor, a a teacher, a wellbeing officer can identify that those students perhaps need a little bit of support um, and set up some social programs. So I know lots of schools have used that sociograph to let teachers know and school counsellors to develop, I guess, lunchtime sort of friendship buddy groups and things like that to try and organically foster some sort of friendships. Um, Another area that we've found is really useful is the the survey summary. Um, So school administrators can have a look at an overview of the surveys and quite often they see trends in the data there that they can uh, identify and look at and think, oh, how can we adjust our our PD or our support programs to help teachers? Because maybe they need some assistance with um, managing difficult behaviour. Maybe it's more special needs specific training. So by looking at, at that, that data, they can really break things down and, and figure out how best to support their teachers. What about bullying? Is that, uh, does that ever come up? 
Um, bullying, I guess, is you could potentially look at the, the separations and see, identify those students that are, uh, are separated from other students, and that might be part of the bullying. There's also an opportunity to put in notes, um, so the bullying could come under that. Um, but generally, I would say the preferences is a real, it's an amazing snapshot into almost the schoolyard. It's, it's how the kids are viewing their friendships and their relationships. So those kids that don't actually have any preferences, I think it's a, as a, as a teacher and as a parent, I think it's a real amazing insight and warning sign for those kids to think, hey, something's not clicking here. No students want to be around this person. What's going on here? How can we help? And mm. I think that can be a very, very difficult thing for a teacher to see inside and outside the classroom. So it's, it's an incredibly valuable piece of data, I believe. Now, all this data gets fed into a computer and uh, then uh, an algorithm goes to work sorting it all out and then presents the results to us. Just so that we uh, get a bit more of an idea of what's actually going on there, can you help us understand what an algorithm is and what it's doing with our precious personal student data? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It does sound a bit mysterious. Well, it sounds a little bit uh, terminated <laughs> to me. I'm thinking, hmm, okay. No, not, not quite, no. Uh, so basically I think of the algorithm as, as a sorting mechanism. So um, it's basically identifying data points. It's, so it's, it's looking at the kids as data, not as, as individual students, but trying to use that data to create the, the best classes. Um, so when we were creating the algorithm first off, the, the sorting mechanism, because it, uh, it, it is constantly evolving, but when we started, um, it was an amazing experience because what we did is we, we created what we call teacher logic. We spoke to heaps of educators and documented what their priorities were and how they created classes. So we really tried to, to continue the way educators have, have been doing it for a long, long time. And then we tried to turn that teacher logic into code. Well, Carl, our, our developer, turned that into code. And it was really incredibly difficult. It's, it, it was really insightful for me to understand how as teachers we, we, we used kids and we put them in social groups and then we looked at the academic data and we tried to move these kids around to, to make a nice blend and mix. But to turn that into code, it just showed how complex and challenging that is. So as teachers, we should all have a pat on the back, I think, for, for doing it so long manually. Um, and then basically when we'd made our, our first version of the algorithm, the, the sorting mechanism, we tested it on a lot of dummy data and then we, then we tweaked it some more. Then we worked with pilot schools around Australia who all created classes differently um, and then tweaked it over our first and second year. And now we've, we've been running in Australia for three years now and we've had over half a million student placements go through. So we've got a lot of data there that we can use to continually tweak the algorithm and things like that. Um, we've also just released um, an alternate version of the algorithm. So there's multiple versions of the algorithm. So schools might have different preferences and they can choose different sorting priorities to how they want to create the classes. Mm. Um, so that, that's sort of an interesting one for schools because every school is very different and what their priorities are and even every cohort. So... Um, year ones might be a very different bunch of students to the year threes, and so you might want to sort them very differently. Um, so yeah. as, the, as the students get older, presumably throughout the years, this, the, the, uh, the system is collecting data on the same students. Should I assume, therefore, that the system is learning about the students? Um, 
I would say the system is remembering and it's allowing the schools to learn about those students uh, or to remember that data more easily. The, the system doesn't actually learn about those students at the moment. It basically stores the data and it reminds the school, the teachers, the school administrators and leadership of the students. So if a student, for example, is separated from another student in year one um, and then the, the teacher leaves the school from year one and they move into year two and year three, then in year four those two students are put back together. The system will actually remind the administrator and say, back in year one these kids were recommended to be separated. Uh-huh. Maybe and keep that or you can move it along. But it doesn't actually make any decisions. It allows the school to make those decisions about separating those kids. Okay, so it's still very much a human process but assisted by this by this technology. Absolutely. We like to think that we're empowering educators by providing them with more data in an easy way to use it. I mean, we've got so much data in schools but so often it can be very difficult to use and get sort of bogged down. But we've got some simple colour coding and and stuff like that that really make it easy and, and stand out. I'm curious, how clever can this thing get? Can it tell if I'm biased? <laughs> uh, no, no, not not yet. But I guess that's part of our colour coding. The beauty of it is <laughs> it, it does collect that data and the data, it's colour coded, but it's basically black and white to see if someone is being biased. So I guess in theory, uh, school administrators can see if there's perhaps a, a class that has been stacked with one particular type of students. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I guess you could you could say that 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 could be an upside to see if there was any bias, so that teachers weren't looking after their buddies or something like that. I guess. Well, I'm I'm curious about that because I can imagine that you know in staff room conversations that often there's maybe a a conversation about. Oh, that group of kids or, geez, I've had a bad day today or um, who's teaching that class next year. And, and of course, it's all, it's all meant in jest, but I'm yep. just wondering if there is a large amount of data that comes in about one particular group or a particular situation, how, how does that get handled? Is that, is that a flag to the administrators? Does it, does it prompt a conversation? What's, what's the, usually the, the way out of that? Um, I think with discussing it with, with schools, it's just, I guess I think sometimes they might look at a particular cohort. So, for example, the year threes and say, this is a really challenging bunch of students to place. So they spend perhaps a little bit more time in placing those students and using the alerts and the colour coding to make sure they've got the mix just right um, or as, as close to as they can get um, to spread those students and to match them with the appropriate teachers to, to have the best outcome. Um, so that's that's the main main sort of goal. Something I'm also very interested in uh, is whether or not the students know that this is going on. Are the students told that this is happening? Generally, no. Um, that's that's an interesting thing. The kids, I guess, blissfully unaware that how their classroom uh, their classes are created year on year. As a student, I never knew. Um, <laughs> I, I remember I was separated from my best friend in about grade two and we never were in the same class together. So now I understand why that happened because we used to talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but no, I think kids just, they, they're, they're happy that they're in a nice class and that's, that's probably an objective. So I guess we've got two levels that we're trying to do. We're trying to make great classes for kids that are positive learning environments and by allowing them to have preferences um, and allowing separations and pairings between students, that actually solves that problem. Kids generally get in a class that they're happy, they're with their peers, and that's a positive learning environment. And then the second level is looking at it from the teacher's point of view or the school's point of view and thinking about making sure there's a, a fair spread of 
behaviour, special needs, academic balance, EAL, any support requirements for the kids are met within the class. So that's, I guess, sort of the way, way that we look at it. So kids are kind of unaware of, of how this magic happens. Oh, they must just think that you're all geniuses. <laughs> year, <laughs> after, year after year, I'm in these fantastic classes. It's amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, and the parents, how do they, how do they respond to this? I think for parents, it's it's kind of similar. Um, the, the the process, I guess, now is more transparent than it was. Even I've noticed from probably the last three years, there's been a shift that schools are more transparent in saying how they create the classes, um, and they're just they're discussing that with parents in the in the school newsletter. Um, but I guess in relation to parents, the most common thing we've heard is that schools are getting far less complaints about the classes. Oh, that's which, always good. A very, very good thing because we, we've got the alerts of student placements, we save the student history, uh, the colour codings there, mistakes are far less likely to occur and those mistakes are the things that would um, would get a parent on the, on the doorstep very quickly saying, hey, why is my student in this class? Why doesn't he have a friend? He was separated from this person three years ago. Why has it happened again? So. Uh, those are the things we're, we're trying to avoid to happen and uh, saving the schools quite a lot of grief. Sounds like it's making some really good changes there, Tim. Thanks so much for talking to us. No problem. Thanks very much for having me. You've been listening to Central Station. If you'd like to know more about Class Builder, then head on over to the website, central.com.au. And for more information about our guests and interview transcripts, visit central.com.au slash podcast. I'm Colin Klupik. Until next time. Bye for now.